Rachel Deer, host of today's program, COVID-19 Critical Care, What Providers Need to Know. This is the May 1st update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, we are now providing twice-weekly 15-minute webcasts and podcasts featuring the latest news, treatment updates, and clinical considerations, as well as answering your questions about COVID-19. These will be available on Wednesday evening and Friday morning. Sign up at covid19.dkbmed.com to be sure you get the latest updates. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CME and CE information. To attest for CME and CE credit, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There, you will find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CME and CE programs on a range of topics. Today's learning objectives are, describe two indications for mechanical ventilation, distinguish between commonly used modes of mechanical ventilation, and state two common ventilatory alarms and the causes for each. Again, I'm very happy to introduce Sue Hansen, a clinical nurse specialist at Harborview Medical Center in Seattle. Sue, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back, and I'd like to thank DKB Med, Postgraduate Institute of Medicine, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. So today we're gonna talk about ventilator management for beginners, Um, quite a big topic for anyone. But we're gonna talk about the different modes of mechanical ventilation, some common terminology, uh, frequent alarms, and some monitoring parameters that you should be mindful of when you're working with a patient who requires mechanical ventilation. So this was a case series uh, that just came out of New York. Um, They looked at 5,700 patients, and as of April 4th, they were able to review 2,600 of them. Of the 2,600, roughly 12% required mechanical ventilation, 21% had died, and those who required mechanical ventilation and had died was 88%. Now that seems like a large number, but keep in mind that 88% is of the original 12% that required mechanical ventilation. And it's really too early to determine whether or not uh, these patients have a higher rate of death, those who are requiring mechanical ventilation. This is a smaller case review uh, that came out of Seattle. It was from the end of February to the end of March. They looked at 24 patients and 75% of those patients required mechanical ventilation. They presented with bilateral pulmonary opacities. Those who had CT scans had bilateral ground glass appearance, all consistent with development of ARDS. And also on presentation on day one, after they were intubated, they required 90% FiO2 and this is kind of telling as to how hypoxemic these patients are when they first arrive. The mortality rate for these initial 24 was 50%, and the majority of those patients that had expired were greater than the age of 65, which also supports the information we already know about age and mortality among COVID-19 patients. So what are the indications of mechanical ventilation? There's roughly uh, three or four criteria, but it really is all patient dependent. One of those is airway control. If the patient cannot maintain their airway, keep it open. If they cannot uh, swallow or take a deep breath, or if there's risk of obstruction, they will be intubated. Patients who have inspired oxygenation and ventilation, 
as well as patients who are undergoing a procedure. So they're going to the operating room, they're gonna be under anesthesia, and of course they cannot um, oxygenate and ventilate for themselves. So they will get uh, mechanical ventilation. In addition, under these three main headings, you can divide acute respiratory failure into two groups, either acute or chronic. Acute, you can pile in here patients who uh, suffer a trauma. So those are car accidents, uh, patients who have head injuries, patients who um, have injuries to their airway and they need a surgical airway. In addition, uh, those patients that uh, suffer cardiac arrest. Those chronic issues are more, are more patients who suffer long-term uh, cerebral effects from traumatic brain injury, those who have neuromuscular disorders like Guillain-Barre or ALS, and those people who have chronic pulmonary issues like COPD. So when understanding how a ventilator works and the physiology of uh, ventilator mechanics, you also need to have a good understanding of the normal physiology of airflow in and out of the lungs. So as people, we breathe by a system of negative pressures. The atmospheric pressure is positive pressure. So when we, right before we take a deep breath, our diaphragm contracts, it uh, moves down towards the abdominal cavity. This creates greater negative interthoracic pressure and that negative interthoracic pressure creates a pressure gradient between the atmospheric pressure. And because of such gradient, we therefore pull air into our lungs and fill up our lungs. That being said, inspiration is an active process. Expiration is a passive process. With mechanical ventilation, it is completely the opposite. Mechanical ventilation helps patients breathe through positive pressure. And no matter what mode that the patient is on the ventilator, if you have an artificial airway in, it is positive pressure ventilation. So some terminology you need to be familiar with when understanding mechanical uh, ventilation. It's important to understand this terminology because you'll be making changes on the ventilator based on what some of these values are. So mode, which we're going to discuss uh, a little bit later, that is the mechanism by which the machine delivers breath to the patient, and they can deliver it in several different ways. Respiratory rate is pretty obvious, but that is in breaths per minute, measured in breaths per minute. Tidal volume is in um, cc's. Minute ventilation is in cc's per minute. This too is important because it kind of gives an indication on, on how, uh, how much your patient is, is working to breathe. Plateau pressure is a measurement uh, that we use all the time. It is measured during an inspiratory pause in the machine. And the goal for patients who have ARDS or very sick lungs is to keep this value under 30. This is, I, in order to keep it in simple terms, I try to kind of liken it to mean airway pressures, but it is not mean airway pressures, but it gives you an indication of the overall pressure within the, the trachea and the alveoli at any given moment. Sensitivity, this is um, a function on a mechanical ventilator. And this is adjusted, and sometimes it can be auto-adjusted to meet the needs of the patients who are spontaneously breathing. It actually assists the patients in taking that first breath on their own while they are on the machine itself. Uh, I to E ratio, this is normally one to two. Basically your inspiratory cycle is half of your expiratory cycle. That's normal physiology. This too can be adjusted to help oxygenation and ventilation. FiO2 refers to the fraction of inspired oxygen. Room air is 21%. You can give a patient anywhere up to 100% on the ventilator. Positive end expiratory pressure, we call PEEP. 
This is pressure at the end of the expiratory phase and it stays positive for whatever amount you dial it up to. So normally we start at five. This helps keep those little air sacs open. This also helps with oxygenation. It helps with de-recruitment, but it can also have um, some negative effects as well. Um, if dialed up too high, it can cause some barotrauma. And lastly, there's compliance. We talk a lot about compliance when we talk about ARDS. And compliance is basically what it means. You can measure it several different ways, static or dynamic, but we'll use the general term here. And it refers to the distensibility of the lungs and how easy your lungs can expand. And in those ARDS patients and the really sick COVID-19 patients, uh, your lungs do not expand well. So when this number starts to increase, typically we like to see it between 50 to 100. If this number starts to decline, that demonstrates lower compliance and we're gonna to need to make some adjustments on the ventilator. Those items that with, have the green check mark, those are typically the ones that are ordered and will be programmed into the ventilator when a patient first goes onto the ventilator. So modes of ventilation, uh, I tried to put these into three buckets. Modes of ventilation are very confusing. With, uh, so I'm trying to make it as simple as possible, but there are three main buckets of modes. One is volume cycled or volume control. This is where a preset tidal volume and respiratory rate is programmed into machine. And that's what the patient receives. If the patient would like to breathe over that set rate, say, the set rate is 12 and the tidal volume is 600 cc's. The patient can do that, but they're gonna receive 600 cc's of tidal volume. Versus the second way, pressure controlled. Now pressure controlled, a preset pressure limit is programmed into the machine. So if patients are starting to have high pressure limits in terms of your plateau pressure or the compliance is going down, they may put them on a pressure control limit. When that patient inspires air, the pressure within the lungs is going to increase. When that pressure reaches that set limit that was programmed into the machine, then that ventilator breath ceases. The third way or the third bucket of program modes is a combination of both, where you can uh, program the machine to give volume controlled breaths and pressure controlled breaths. So some common modes of ventilation, uh, assist control, that's a mode of volume controlled. That being said, patients can also overbreathe that. Now, the picture at the top shows two waveforms, and the reason you need to make the distinction is that with volume control, the very top one that's red, that, those waveforms look exactly the same, and that's telling you that patient's getting the same volume with each breath. But the bottom waveform is the pressure waveform, and if you notice it, uh, the widths of the green waveforms are different. Some are narrow, some are wide, and that tells you that the pressure varies with each breath that the patient takes, and that's characteristics of volume control ventilation. Now, the bottom mode is synchronized intermittent mandatory ventilation, and this is also a volume cycle and probably one of the most misunderstood, but this is where the patient's breath is synchronized with the machine, or the machine synchronizes with the patient's spontaneous breath. And as you see, both waveforms can be different depending on if the patient is breathing on their own or if the machine is delivering breath. So if the patient wants to assist on this mode, they can, but they will only breathe in the amount of air that they're strong enough to breathe in. The machine, on the other hand, will still deliver 600 cc's of tidal volume. Also, if you look at the green waveform below, the pressure will vary with each breath. 
So if the patient's breath is only 400 cc's, then the pressure would probably be less than the machine delivered breath of 600 cc's because it is a less or is a, a smaller volume of air. The third most common mode is pressure support ventilation. With pressure support ventilation, this is a pressure controlled mode and the machine is dialed in or set to a preset pressure. This common mode is more often than not used as a weenie mode. And how it works is that the higher amount of pressure delivered to the patient um, makes it easier for the patient to initiate and take in that deep breath. So if the patient is having a difficult time triggering the vent and taking a deep breath on the vent, because it is a different way of breathing for patients, this mode or this value will be dialed up until a patient takes in an adequate breath. Another common mode that we see is a combination of SIMB and pressure support. This mode is probably not used as often, but I still see it used during some phases. And the reason some practitioners use this mode is that they want to see what the patient is doing, but yet the patient is not ready to wean. So when you would have this mode is that the patient majority of the time, they need the support, the full ventilatory support of SIMB, but yet they wanna start seeing what the, what the patient can do. Or maybe the patient is starting to initiate breaths and you want to assist the patient uh, in doing so, so they don't have to uh, work so hard breathing on their own. Again, all very, very confusing, but if you just keep in mind, they are grouped into uh, buckets, either volume controlled with a preset volume, pressure controlled with a preset pressure, or um, patients can be um, on a mechanical ventilator with a combination of both, both pressure control and volume control. Some common ventilator alarms. I always like to tell folks, this is a, a very common mnemonic, DOPE. If you don't know why your ventilator is alarming, just go through this mnemonic and work your way down. So the first is dislodgement. Uh, patients' ET tubes can migrate. Patients can pull out their ET tubes. Patients can cough out their ET tubes. So make sure that everything is connected. There can be an obstruction as well. Uh, it can be a mucus plug. The inline catheter can be in the way down the ET tube and that can um, create an obstruction. Patients who have high pressures, like in ARS patients, maybe they've developed a pneumothorax. And so that also needs to be looked at. And then lastly, there's equipment failure. Some of our ventilators have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours on them. And even though there's an internal uh, battery backup, um, sometimes this fails as well. And so make sure that this is not part of the reason. Some of the most frequent alarms that I see, um, I don't wanna say that some are more important than others because I'd like to think that uh, you should address every alarm immediately. But one of the most common is high uh, peak pressure alarms. The real cause for this can be anything. It could be a kink in the tube. More often than not, patient's biting the tube or the patient's coughing forcefully. Here we'll see when patient's compliance is going up, they'll start to have high, high pressure alarm limits. Uh, low pressure alarm limits or low peak pressure, that means there's a leak in the system. So the most common thing I see about this is that maybe there's um, a disconnect somewhere or someone has a large pneumothorax or um, the ET2 is malpositioned or maybe there's a cuff leak. Another one is low exhale tidal volume. Your tidal volume is measured. How much is delivered is measured in the expiratory limb. So they measure the amount of exhalation 
that has actually returned to the ventilator. And so if this is drastically reduced, the, the low exhale tidal volume alarm will go off. And again, the, the biggest reason I see for this is that a uh, patient can have a large pneumothorax, so check the chest tube. You can have continuous bubbling now where you didn't have it before. Their patient can have a fistula or maybe your patient extubated themselves and they shouldn't have. And then lastly is high minute ventilation. Again, this is cc's of air taken in per minute, normal is six to eight. This directly uh, plays into your patient's needs. If they're breathing really, really fast and they're tachypnic and they're tachycardic, maybe you need to make some adjustments on the ventilator to make them more comfortable and deliver the air in a, in a different way so they're more comfortable. Another reason why somebody might have a high minute ventilation, maybe their tidal volume is really, really big and this is telling you that they're, they're ready to wean from the ventilator. This is the time to put them on that pressure support mode and see what they can do. Some monitoring parameters when we're taking care of patients. Again, these are the top ones, but not all the ones. Um, this is specific to ARDS patients and your COVID-19 population who develop ARDS, which the majority of them do. Compliance is probably the one that the one parameter that we talk about most frequently. Normal compliance, again, is 50 to 100. If compliance is dropping down into the mid-30s, this is telling you that your lungs are getting stiffer. It's more and more difficult for the machine to deliver the set amount of air. Um, if your compliance goes down any further, you could suffer some trauma due to the airflow and the increased pressure. So you'll need to make some changes on the ventilator to improve that patient's compliance. Plateau pressures, again, these are also termed static pressures and the goal is to keep these less than 30. This reflects the average amount of pressure um, at the inspiratory hold phase. And it looks at the pressure within the uh, larger airways of the um, respiratory system. P to F ratio, this is your PA2 and your arterial blood gas as it relates to the amount of oxygen delivered. And if you remember from last week, if you have a P to F ratio less than 300, this is indicative of acute lung injury, less than 200 uh, is ARDS, and maybe your patient is getting worse and uh, moving towards needing uh, mechanical ventilation. Your driving pressure, this is something that is actually part of your compliance and it looks at the difference between your plateau pressure and your peak. And the goal of this is to keep it less than 15 and your driving pressure has a strong um, link to mortality. So when your patients are having increasing driving pressures greater than 15, uh, closer approaching to 20, then you're gonna have to make some adjustments in your tidal volume. Um, to reduce those pressures or maybe put them on a different mode to reduce those pressure maybe switch them from assist control to a pressure control mode to help reduce those driving pressures and help improve your compliance. And peak airway pressure uh, is basically those pressures that are measured throughout the entire pulmonary system, but it's uh, their peak airway pressures on inspiration. So how much pressure does it take for that ventilator to deliver that breath? If, it's, if you watch these and watch the trends, you're gonna find that people who have ARDS or have worsening lung disease, these numbers will begin to rise and it will signal to you that you'll need to make some adjustments on the ventilator. And that is it. Uh, thank you for having me and I'm happy to take questions. Thanks Sue for those updates. We're now going to continue to the listener Q&A. To submit questions for Sue for next week, please send questions to qa at dkbmed.com. If we are not able to address your question in this session, we will try to address it in another session. First question, 
what are major complications associated with mechanical ventilation in COVID patients? Well, I think COVID patients are developing ARDS just like other patients who develop ARDS. And I think the complications are related to that and are related to being on the ventilator itself. There are complications just for having the breathing tube in. Uh, one being, the primary one being ventilator-associated pneumonia. Uh, we've had difficulty, all institutions, in trying to reduce, reduce ventilator-associated pneumonia. In addition to being on the ventilator and uh, having high flows and high pressures, remember this is positive pressure breathing, positive pressure can do damage to the lung tissue and the lung parenchyma. And this is called barotrauma, and we need to try and prevent this because these effects of barotrauma go on with the patient even after they're extubated, they don't go away. Being on the ventilator can also cause pneumothorax. Patient can also develop sepsis, uh, which is an overall infectious process. There can be non-vent complications due to um, immobility, such as thrombosis. Patients in this population also really get delirium. There's a high instance of delirium and trying to prevent this is very, very difficult. And a lot of patients, uh, majority of patients who are on the ventilator develop post-intensive care syndrome. Next question, what can be done to prevent ventilator-associated pneumonia? Well, again, this is, this is a big one. I don't think anybody's found uh, the crystal ball to help prevent this. For years, we were following the ventilator-associated bundle or the VAP bundle. And now we are using the CDC recommendations of ventilator associated events to um, highlight those patients who may uh, be developing ventilator associated pneumonia. But I think overall, most institutions still, the majority of time, follow the VAP bundle. And that is doing uh, oral care, being mindful of subglottic suctioning, giving GI prophylaxis, making sure the patient's head of the bed is up. Um, the big one is extubate as soon as possible. We do spontaneous awakening trials and spontaneous breathing trials. Uh, we've moved towards keeping patients on the lighter side of sedation. So majority of the time, patients are pretty awake in being on the ventilator, but we also need to do a spontaneous breathing trial and see how well they would do if they were off so we can adjust the ventilator to see to see how that would work. So we basically uh, decrease their ventilator settings and kind of give them a try to see how strong they are. And also another thing that has shown to help both VAP and delirium is to mobilize these patients as soon as possible and get them out of bed, whether they're on the ventilator or not. But again, all of these interventions have worked to some degree, but it has not been a magic bullet to prevent ventilator-associated pneumonia. I'm sure many, many institutions would be very glad to hear of anything that has uh, really made headway in this area. Next question, how are patients moved to and from operating rooms in crisis situations while using mechanical ventilation? This is a really good question. So there's, I guess I, I'm gonna take it as two, two ways to answer this. For patients who are non-COVID patients, our institution uses transport ventilators and um, we basically put patients on a smaller ventilator that fits in the bed that we can program with the same uh, settings that they had on the ventilator that was in the room. That being said, some patients are so unstable that you cannot disconnect the system. And so when that happens, you actually use the internal battery power of the ventilator that they're on in the room 
and you transport them down to the OR in that fashion and not disconnect them. Other patients who have to be emergently transported down to the OR that are stable respiratory-wise, but maybe they're unstable for other reasons, like they're bleeding, they can be taken off and we can use a bag valve mask or a Laerdal bag to actually bag them down to the operating room. For COVID-19 patients, we have processes in place here for uh, PPE and for the OR to receive the patients in PPE in a certain process. And it's a kind of lengthy here, but in a nutshell, the patients who are transporting the patient from the critical care area or the ED departments are in PPE attire. We have another person who's in PPE attire that's considered the clean person, and they will clear the hallways, push the elevator buttons, we'll take a certain elevator to get down to the OR, and then we'll take the patient down that way, and then there'll be the OR staff to receive the patient in their PPE. Next question, can we use pressure control mode on the ventilator when proning COVID-19 patients? You can, but again, this is a spontaneous mode of breathing, pressure control. And when you have somebody who's prone, the majority of the time they're very, very sick and they're heavily sedated and sometimes they're paralyzed. And so you cannot use a spontaneous mode of ventilation in somebody who is chemically paralyzed, they don't breathe. So quite often when we have patients who are prone, they will be on uh, lung protective ventilation. Um, this came out of the ARSNET study. This is a volume control mode where patients are put on a low tidal volume and their FiO2 and their PEEP are adjusted accordingly in a stepwise fashion as needed to ensure optimal oxygenation and ventilation. That being said, pressure control, pressure release volume control, and APRV um, has been used in the COVID-19 population patients, but yet uh, they cannot be chemically paralyzed. Next question, what are the disadvantages of using pressure control mode? Uh, well, again, uh, the patient has to be spontaneously breathing. Uh, it's a preset pressure, so you have to continually watch the patient to make sure that they're taking in enough tidal volume. If you remember back from the, the beginning of the first slides, if you set the pressure to 20 or 22, that means that the patient is going to initiate a breath. Once they reach that set pressure of 20, uh, regardless of what the tidal volume is, the tidal volume can be 75 cc's, the tidal volume can be 300 cc's or 700 cc's. It can vary and it does vary depending on how your patient's doing. So if you're not monitoring this, the patient can go for long periods of time taking very small tidal volumes. And anything probably less than 75 Cs is pretty much dead space, that area where there is no oxygenation and ventilation. So this just requires uh, constant check-ins by the nurse and the respiratory therapist to make sure your patient is taking adequate volumes with that pressure limit. Thank you again, Sue, for joining us today and providing some really valuable information from the front lines of COVID-19 care. As a reminder, to claim CME or CE credit, please complete the evaluation at covid19.dkbmed.com and select today's activity. You'll receive your certificate immediately after. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. Don't forget to access our resource center at covid19.dkbmed.com. There, you'll find information on the latest COVID-19 data and statistics, medical society guidelines, and resources in Spanish.
please be on the lookout for our next activity on Wednesday, May 6th, featuring Paul Awater from Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. We will send out an email when it becomes available. Any questions can be submitted by sending to qa at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Sue, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here.